This is episode 292 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Proportionate Preparation and A Burglar's Universal Search Pattern, How a Burglar Robs Your Home in 8 Minutes. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 292. Man, I gotta tell you, it's been a long, long day. And uh, so I'm recording this podcast uh, very late in the evening and uh, but it is the Friday podcast, and so uh, you know it's an important one. Uh, this day was, uh, like I said, it was very long. It started out um, crazy. So uh, if I can uh, just, if if you'll just indulge me just for a minute, right? Hopefully this might help someone out in the future. Um, earlier uh, or, or yesterday, actually, when I was coming home. Uh, I noticed that uh, the water company was w- uh, working outside of the neighborhood, and they were repairing some, uh, repairing a main valve out there. And uh, so I, I noticed that. And uh, but about eight eight thirty eight o'clock, I noticed that we started losing water. And so I went out there, and you know they were they were around our our uh, street. So I, I did go and talk to them. And they said, yeah. Uh, they busted a main valve. They're replacing it. You should have your water back in a couple of hours. Okay, so that was fine. So we didn't have water to flush and and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, before we went to bed. But uh, you know, we would just we, you know, we were prepared, so we had water to flush if we needed to. But anyway, you know, if someone wanted to take a shower or whatever. So anyway, this morning we wake up and uh, my wife and I just like we normally do and. We get up early to pray, and as soon as I, you know, got into our living room, I noticed that there was water all over the floor, and so you know, I figured, okay, maybe uh, some water leaked or or whatever out of the refrigerator. But man, we turned on the lights, and it was crazy. It was all over the place, so all over the kitchen, in the living room, uh, it went uh, down the hall a little bit. Now, luckily, we have tile floors, so. Um, it was easy, you know, it, it didn't soak carpet or anything like that. So immediately we went to finding what the source was and it looked like it was the refrigerator and uh, started throwing down towels and I pulled the refrigerator out from the wall and turned off the, uh, turned off the, the water to, from, from the wall and, uh, you know, just started cleaning it up. But we still noticed that uh, there was a lot of water coming from the refrigerator still uh, even after I, I I turned off the water, and uh, so just you know what what is going on? So we uh, actually the freezer started to defrost, and so uh, some you know there are some things that we did have to throw away. Other things that we were able to move that were still frozen. Uh, luckily, you know if we would have if we would have woke up a little bit later on, you know like an hour two hours later we would have encountered a, you know, a bigger mess than what we encountered. It would have probably gone all over the house. But anyway, uh, finally, you know, emptied out the, the freezer so I could see what was going on and it was coming out of the, the ice maker. 
And so put a bucket in there uh, to catch the water that was dripping so it would stop, you know, flowing all over the floor and all over everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, going going to town. So uh, luckily for those big five-gallon buckets from Home Depot, uh, started wringing out uh, all the, the towels uh, after we were, you know, soaking up all the, the water because, I mean, this would have been too much for a mop. I mean, it's just all over the place. And we were actually... We were trying to stop it from going all over the, the house. But anyway, one of the things that I mean, you're going to think I'm a wuss because of this, but that I, I wasn't even thinking about it or I didn't even feel it at the time, but I uh, got some some nice little blisters from wringing out the towels because I guess I was just going so fast. I really wasn't paying attention. Uh, I was just trying to wring them out. And then, you know, my wife was getting them to the washing machine uh, as we as we were able to do that. But uh, finally, you know, called a plumber. Today was actually a really big day for my department. And so, uh, you know, I, I realized that, you know, just logically, if I'm turning off the, the, the valve at the wall, that it's, you know, that, that valve is bad if it's continuing to flow out of the, the, the refrigerator. Cause I mean, after an hour, I mean, we, I was dumping out this, this bucket, you know, a couple of times. And so, uh, yeah, sure enough. So I, I couldn't have replaced that valve just because if it would have been a normal day, I would have called in and, uh, you know, stayed home and replaced it. It wasn't that difficult, but I was able to call a plumber because I, I had to be at this event. I mean, it was all hands on deck uh, today. And so, uh, you know, one of the soft, uh, one of the, the things that I used was next door. I've talked about that before in some of my articles. And uh, basically, it's like social media, but it is for your neighborhood. And so I went on there to find recommendations for plumbers and find, found a really good guy. Uh, he came highly recommended, had a lot of uh, you know likes and, and a lot of people you know giving them really good feedback. And so they did call us as soon as they opened up and uh, got over to the house. You know, my uh, my wife was here, felt really comfortable with them, and uh, they were able to switch out that valve. And, uh, you know, turn off the water so where it wasn't, you know, the refrigerator uh, or at least the ice maker wasn't running anymore. But, uh, you know, so one thing that the plumber did say was he has seen this before when like the water company has turned on their water. It has uh, they've turned it on so fast or it flows so fast into the house that it busts. um, So it strips out that valve and then it will bust something in the ice maker. And he said, yeah, this, you know, we've seen this before. This has happened before. And uh, now that I think about it, where my shutoff valve is in my, uh, for, for the house, uh, not at the street, but where it's at in the house, the refrigerator or, or the line that comes to the refrigerator, um, I think I, the refrigerator is the first thing in the line. And so it would have received, I guess, the most pressure. So I guess one of the things, um, the lessons here is that I guess if they're, if your water is completely shut off, you know, coming from the uh, from in, in the neighborhood, you might want to go ahead and turn it off at the house so that when it comes back on, it doesn't rush into your house and and have you know do something like that, you know, ruin your ice maker and and uh, you know bust any valves or anything like that and so hopefully um, that might be something you will uh, 
contemplate next time that they're working on uh, the the water mains for your for your neighborhood because yeah that was I guess they just turned it on so fast you know to give everybody water and uh, I'm just wondering if anybody else in the neighborhood had that had that situation but again I think part of it was because our refrigerator is the first water uh, you know first thing that uses water in in the line and so that might have been one of the one of the reasons why that happened um, so anyway I gotta uh, gotta work on uh, fixing or switching out that ice maker down. So I got to do a little bit of research and what won't be this weekend. I've got some, uh, too, too many other things to do. Hopefully I can share that with you this next, uh, this next week, but, uh, you got, got other things that are a little bit more important and we'll just deal with not having ice or buy some uh, bags of ice and just, you know, use that temporarily. But anyway, hopefully that will help. And then, you know, so I went to, went to work it was it you know got home really really late uh and uh it got to the point where i was you know sitting down and doing the uh, getting ready to do the podcast and it's just it's just late in the evening uh and and doing this but and so i'm just really tired so maybe that might come out just a little bit but anyway hopefully that helps you uh, now you know since it's fresh on my mind uh, about that i wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that because you know, you, you wake up and it's just a regular day and, you know, all of a sudden it turns into, you know, having to do all this work and, uh, you know, cleaning up the house and, and then also problem solving why water's still running. And, uh, you know, it's not too difficult. That's not too difficult a problem. Uh, just, you know, having to handle it and, and taking care of it. So anyway, uh, hopefully that helps someone out there in the future. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast. It comes to us from theprepperjournal.com. And the title of the article is Proportionate Preparation. And so hopefully this uh, this article will help some of you, especially those of you that are new, but then also those of you that you, you might be prepping for you know one or two. You might be in year two and just continue to feel overwhelmed. Hopefully this will help you out just a little bit. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Like most preppers, I occasionally test out my preps. In this case, I pulled my bug out gear together and wore it about the house for a a bit, testing to see the weight impact of a few items I had recently added. And it was a little heavy. Sure, I can change out some stuff and give more thought to what I really need in a bug out situation, but this activity got me thinking more broadly too. What is my proportionate response here? In my case, I need to travel fair distance to get where I want to go, so I have some particular needs. But beyond that, what am I responding to? Some of us might think, and I've seen other good articles on this here at the Prepper Journal, about what is practical when it comes to prepping. Am I tactical or tactical? Do I think owning a Humvee is realistic when I have a family to support? Is a master medic bag suitable for treating Ebola really something that I can transport, let alone make use of, given my lack of medical training to utilize such a resource, and so on. But I want to talk even more broadly than that. Every aspect of my prepping plans, and hopefully yours, should include an idea of what is proportionate to us, our individual abilities and limitations, and to what we are responding to what limitations a particular crisis or crises will impose upon us. A simple example might be 
My physical limitations are not necessarily shared by you. So I might be able to carry more or less than you on my back if we need to bug out. Something more specifically might be, I am not planning for a biohazard, chemical hazard of some sort. I've decided that it is too unlikely in my area versus the additional weight factor. So I don't have mop gear in my bug out bag. Perhaps you do have mop gear, but put simply, it's hard to prepare for every single eventuality all at once. Have every base completely covered and carry it with you. One of the things that the National Geographic show got right was it asked each prepper what they were actually prepping for. And so uh, the author of the article is referring to doomsday preppers. And that was one, you can look at that both ways, you know, on, on one side, yeah, it is, you know, there might be one overall arching reason why you are prepping. Uh, I know that other people that have mentioned, uh, you know, in the preparedness community that were that were on that show have mentioned that the producers wanted them to pick one thing and, and, and not just say, hey, you know, we're, we're just preparing for emergency preparedness sake. So, uh, we, you know, we know that, that, uh, that that's what they did for this show. And then they just really tried to sensationalize that. So, uh, anyway, just kind of throwing my two cents in there. Now, apply that thinking more broadly and you'll see more of what I am talking about. Say you have a location you are bugging out to and it's a nice big acreage where you can plant crops, see for large distances, etc. Is it proportionate to what you can conceivably secure? Is it proportionate to what you need to survive in a crisis? If you've got lots of land you want to utilize, then you are most likely going to have to patrol it to keep it secure, which is going to either require lots of time or lots of people to achieve good security. Even with technology assisting you, and tech is not necessarily going to be super reliable long-term anyways, a subject for another time, like cameras and sensors, you still may need to respond to that interloper, not to mention the added risk of being a large visible target with notable resources. I've gamed out a few examples in short here so that we can continue to apply this logic down on the line. Is my food storage proportionate to what I need to feed myself and can I keep it secure without it spoiling? Am I likely to have to leave it all behind because it's too much to carry? You may love preserving food as a hobby and appreciate the security of the idea of lots of food in the pantry, but what good will it do you unless you need to bug in? If you live in an inner urban population center like most of us, then the transferable skill of preserving is the best you might be able to take away with you. How likely is it that I will need to defend myself given my relative proximity to others or where I need to bug out to? How necessary is that 50 BMG? If you live away from others, then you probably won't encounter many other people. Generally speaking, unless you are Rambo, you should shy away from fights. Firearms are heavy, can be cumbersome, and require the additional weight of ammunition. In arming yourself, try to maximize the utility of your preparedness. Knives don't run out of ammunition, can be used in conjunction with other available materials to make a spear, are lighter and are generally more useful than a firearm, not to mention quiet. It is worth asking how likely is it you will encounter others with firearms. Whilst no one wants to be the knife wielder at, gun, at a gunfight, not everyone lives in places where everyone has easy access to firearms. 
To be clear, I am not saying don't make firearms part of your preparedness. Just think about what is a proportionate response to your circumstances. And I definitely would recommend if you didn't listen to yesterday's podcast that you listen to that one about knife uh, myths there. All right, continuing on. Is stealth, a bike, or walking a better option than driving a noisy, large car full of supplies when I need to move? Thinking about if motorized transport best addresses the proportion of your task is important. Do you need to travel a long distance and or quickly travel? Again, avoiding conflict and staying out of the limelight is likely to get you much farther than presenting a visible target whilst barging through. In taking the back track, you might need to travel farther, but it could save you being injured or worse. If you are bugging out, the roads might not be clear enough to get a car of any sort through, especially in a metropolitan area, and you might get boxed in somewhere where there is a disturbance. How long is the crisis I am planning for going to last before things get any better? The amount and type of supplies, the necessity of the type of shelter, the distance you want to put between yourself and strife, perhaps even the makeup of your team. These are just some of the decisions informed by what you think might be the proportions of the catastrophe you are preparing for. You don't need to dig a fallout shelter to protect yourself from a cyclone, for example. Which leads me finally to think about what you need, not what you like. A bunker lined with entertainment and luxury might be nice, but that space would be better utilized by things you need. Food and water, for example, so your PlayStation might not make the cut. If you keep your preps proportionate to your needs, then you'll find they tend to also be more concealable, more practical, more manageable, and more realistic to your budget. Ask yourself, is what I have prepared proportionate to my needs and a proportionate response to a given crisis? It would be nice to think we can prepare for anything and everything all at once, but this is unlikely to be achievable for most of us. So making informed choices about what we can do is going to be a reality and should inform our preps for the future, whatever that future may look like. All right, when I go through this article, one of the things that I I guess I'm, I'm focusing on, or at least I think, is this person who wrote the article is thinking more about bugging out than bugging in. So definitely, this is, the, this is going to apply um, to your overall general preparedness when it, t- when it comes to like food and water and, and ammo and defense and, and shelter and those types of things uh, because this person is bugging out. And so if you, have, if you are a person who lives in a city and you are or wherever you live and your plan for preparedness is going to be that you are going to bug out to family that lives out in the country, this might be the, the concept for you, right? This might be the idea for you uh, to, to go with, um, you know, having enough preparedness supplies to be able to get out of the city to the country. And so if that means, okay, you're bugging out with your, uh, with your vehicle or you're bugging out on a bicycle, right? Then you have, you know, you, you have that plan in place. It might be that you do stock up on food and water and other types of those types of supplies, but you, uh, you station all that, uh, at your, uh, you know, at your family member's, uh, house, right? They give you a room 
or you you buried in a cache or whatever you know however you uh, you decide to do that uh, maybe you you're able to uh, you know go that route and so what you're keeping with you is just what you need to be able to get to them the other side of that is you know some people I have heard over the years talk about well if you just prepare for an EMP then that will cover everything well okay maybe so uh, you know but that does you know thinking along those lines that could be very very expensive and so you know I always say you you have to start with a plan and this article talks a little bit about that where you need to be thinking about what you know what what crisis what you know catastrophe what emergency preparedness scenarios you are preparing for and let that drive your preparedness and so that's why I when I started that that series I just recently talked about that uh, on the, on the podcast that survival for the common man my first article was talking about planning you know having to plan things out and that's really where you should start in all of your preparedness just going to the store and starting to buy a bunch of food and uh, you know buy a, a bunch of water and and all that type of stuff a lot of the time that comes from that emotional response which you know I, I completely understand because most of us and most preppers understand that because we were there but if you can just kind of take a deep breath and then learn from some of the things that you know more experienced preppers have uh, can share with you like start with a plan what are the most uh, you know what are the most probable uh, emergencies that you can prepare for right uh, again in Houston I'm not going to prepare for a blizzard but I might prepare I'm probably going to prepare for a hurricane uh, you know I'm not going to prepare for you know being snowed in for weeks but I might prepare for, I don't know, you know, brownouts. You know, we've had those before. Or uh, I might prepare for, uh, you know, again, hurricane or flooding. You know, that, that's been a main thing here here recently, right? The flooding uh, is fresh on everybody's mind still. But, you know, hurricane season ramps up and we get uh, we get that from, from time to time. I, I don't know. Uh, here in the Houston area, sometimes it gets so hot. I might prepare for uh, being able to stay cool if um, if the AC goes out or if it's just unusually hotter than normal, right? And uh, so, you know, you really gotta you gotta keep that into perspective. So I like this article that uh, helps to remind us that you know our preparations need to be proportionate. So hopefully this helps someone out there. And uh, again, someone who is new and, uh, you know, coming to preparedness because maybe they uh, they saw the podcast or uh, they're just, you know, they're just new to preparedness uh, or, you know, even those of you that are maybe one or two years into it and you just feel like, man, I am just so far behind in my preparedness. I just feel like I'm never going to get where I need to be. You know, take a step back, take a deep breath. And, uh, you know, you can start asking yourself these questions. Is uh, my preparedness proportionate to what I'm actually going to need if uh, I find myself in this scenario and in this scenario and in this scenario, the ones that are more probable to you? So, guys, that's over at theprepperjournal.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out. 
there are some links here in this article that uh, you might uh, want to go and uh, investigate a little bit further. All right, so on Fridays, I always do a article uh, from the archives. So I go uh, into the archives, Prepper website archives, and pull one, uh, an older article. And uh, this, uh, for the, this Friday, for this podcast, I chose to do one from the Apartment Prepper or apartmentprepper.com. And Bernie has, a, it's actually a guest post over there. But uh, Bernie has an article entitled, A Burglar's Universal Search Pattern, How a Burglar Robs Your Home in Eight Minutes. And I thought this was very, uh, a very good article to read because I think, and I, I really do believe this, that as the economy gets worse and worse, there's going to be more p- people that are desperate and people that are you know, going into a life of crime to make ends meet. Or maybe it just kind of kicks up from there. Uh, just people that are uh, experienced just you know, because of whatever, they, they just kick it up. And so there are some things that we can do in our, uh, in our homes to make them not so, uh, or, or to make it to where we don't get you know, cleaned out when it comes to a robber coming, coming into our home and stealing everything. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this because I think it's it's a good uh, a good article to have in the back of our minds when we leave our home. And sometimes we just leave it with all kinds of things laying around. And if someone was to come in, a robber would probably target those those expensive those things that they can turn around and make a quick buck. So there's some really great uh, ideas here. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. There are lots of things that a person can do in eight minutes. For example, wash the dishes, make a sandwich, check email, or make a cup of coffee. Eight minutes is all a burglar needs to rob your home. That's pretty fast considering this is a new environment for him because all homes are different. Burglars don't like to hang around inside your house for long. The longer they are inside, the higher the chances they'll end up on the inside of a jail cell. These tips will slow them down and hopefully get them out of your home with less of your valuables. Synchronize your watch to the break-in clock. By the time you finish reading this article, the burglar has already moved on to the next target. The break-in clock. One to two minutes. Once a burglar has gained access to your home, he or she will primarily use the same search pattern. This is if the burglar alarm hasn't gone off yet. The first stop is directed to the master bedroom. They will look for cash, jewelry, or anything that might be valuable. People often make the mistake of leaving money or jewelry in the most common areas, such as a dresser, under the bed, the closets, or beside the table. Keeping a safe in your home is probably your best bet to keep all of your cash and jewelry secure. Burglars won't have enough time to break into the safe, But if it's not bolted down, chances are the burglar will be taking it with him. Three to four minutes. The next room of your home is the bathroom. Burglars will always check your medicine cabinets to see if there's any narcotic prescriptions. Try putting these in a first aid kit tucked under the sink or behind the toilet. Five to six minutes. The next stop may be the living room, kitchen, or family room, so... Don't leave easy-to-sell, high-value, compact items such as laptop, computers, iPods, or cameras lying around or you can be sure to lose them as well. 
Interior locks on the doors leading to your study or gaming room would frustrate a rushing burglar's ability to cash in on your electronics. Valuable personal information is often stored on your personal computers. It's always safer to have your computer password protected and ideally only store important files off-site in an online data cloud storage website such as Dropbox. To protect your online passwords, credit card information, and more, try 1Password, a password generation and encryption software. A lot of people would just say don't put anything on, uh, you know, on the cloud because that can easily, you know, get uh, get hacked. Uh, you know, I haven't heard uh, about Dropbox being hacked before, so I, I don't know. Maybe I've just never, I, I never saw any reports, but uh, I've never seen that come across any news that that I've read before. So uh, that's kind of curious there. I I might look into that one. All right, uh, seven to eight minutes. After the burglar has gathered everything he may need, he will usually call a partner to meet him and load up all of your goods into the car or van. Once all of the goods have been loaded, the burglars drive away to their next target. It's a never-ending cycle. It usually takes me about eight to 12 minutes to get in and out of your home. It's as easy as that. Boast burglary professional Pat O. In closing, there are a lot of things that you can do to avoid a home burglary. A security system is a no-brainer. If that's not an option, leaving a TV or stereo on during the day usually helps burglars avoid your home. This usually indicates someone is home. Also, most burglars won't even attempt entry if they know there's a large dog in the house. Burglaries can result in loss of both valuables and peace of mind. Therefore, it is important to take adequate steps to protect one's home and increase its security. Begin by accepting that all homes are vulnerable to theft and burglary, and then act to step up security and keep one's home, family, and belongings safe and secure. All right, so let me just talk very briefly about this. Uh, The first thing that I want to say is it might be a good idea to uh, place some decoys out in... uh, in view of, you know, in, in, in eyesight. So if a burglar was coming through that they would, it'd be like low hanging fruit. So what I mean by that is, uh, of course they're going to ransack. They're going to go through your bedroom, your master bedroom. So it might, it might be a good idea to not hide things in your regular, uh, you know, hiding places. You got to be a little bit more thoughtful and, uh, you know, hide things just, you know, a little bit better uh, if that's the case. You know, definitely um, the, the way to really go is to have a safe that is bolted to the ground. Uh, I remember watching probably it's, it's been about five or six years ago uh, now, but there was, uh, you know, some some people that stole uh, a safe. I mean, this is like a legit safe. Um, but it wasn't bolted down. So it was, you know, it took about three or four people. So it was one of those heavy ones. And it wasn't a full size like gun safe or rifle safe, right? But they uh, uh, they needed, they had a smaller vehicle. So they had it in the trunk, but the trunk didn't close all the way. And so they had the, the, the trunk, uh, you know, kind of tied down a little bit. But it was just very apparent to anybody who was, uh, riding next behind them or whatever. And so eventually I think a police officer saw it and stopped them and that's how they got caught. Um, they weren't able to open it then and there, but they were able to at least take it with them and put it in their vehicle. 
but they just, you know, if they would have had a, a van or if they would have had a truck, they would have got away with it. But it was because they were in a smaller car. But anyway, so uh, having some decoys out there, some low-hanging fruit. Maybe you have a, a laptop that is so old that it's not any good. So maybe you reformat the hard drive so there's no information on there and just leave it out somewhere, right? Where it looks like uh, it is used, but just leave it out somewhere. So they they uh, they decide to pick that one up and think that they have the laptop. Uh, one of the things you might want to do is leave like five or ten dollars, you know, maybe like a five dollar bill and some ones uh, on your dresser. And so they believe that they think that they're grabbing, you know, the money that you that you have. And then maybe you get some fake jewelry and, uh, you know, some some stuff that that looks good, but it's fake and you just leave it on the top of your dresser. And so, you you know, they're they're going for that. You know, they're thinking they're getting the the good stuff, but really it's just it's all decoy type stuff for uh, for them to grab. Uh, And then the other thing that I would say is you just want to harden your you want to harden your house. And so uh, I know that we've, you know, we've done plenty of articles on Prepper website about that, but just, you know, find ways to, to harden your house. One of the things that you definitely could do is add an alarm system. Um, that is going to, uh, that's going to deter a lot there, um, definitely. And if you don't want to pay for the monitoring, I believe that you can buy, you can buy, um, an alarm system for under $200 that's highly rated on Amazon and just install it yourself or find someone that will install it for you if you're just not that techie. And, uh, but a lot of these come with uh, great, great instructions. I know that when I installed the ring, uh, wireless, uh, doorbell, uh, I mean, it came with a video. It was laid out. It was so easy. Um, by the time that I was ready to actually install it, I mean, it was uh, it was a breeze. I actually did an article on that one. I'm going to go ahead and link to it. But I thought that's a very valuable uh, piece of technology to have in the very front of your home, uh, that ring doorbell, uh, wireless doorbell, because, you know, anybody, any motion or the, when the doorbell rings, you see that pop up right on your phone. And so you get an idea of who is there or you can even talk to them uh, like your home. Uh, if they ring the doorbell, you know, you can you can talk to them and uh, they think you're inside, but you're not. You might be at work or you even be on vacation. Right. But anyway, so I, I really do think that that is a very valuable piece of technology. But but you can find, uh, like I said, uh, do it yourself alarm systems on Amazon and you can uh, definitely, you know, put those, install them in your home. And I think that that would be very valuable. Something really loud when someone opens the door or tries to get through a window would, uh, you know, scare someone away. So I really think we're getting to the point where, uh, if, if you can invest in that, you know, you need to invest in that. All right, guys, that's over at apartmentprepper.com. And, uh, there are a couple of links here that might, you might be interested in. Uh, like always, I'm going to link to this one in the show notes. Well, guys, that's another week of podcast in the books. I'm so glad that you uh, hung out with me all this week. Looking forward to next week. Guys, I have some things to share next week, and I just, I'm just i very excited. Uh, and so hopefully uh, you will tune in, and uh, I will be able to share some, uh, some really just things that I'm, I've been excited about, things that I've been working on. And so uh, I just can't, I can't wait. I think it's going to be good. Uh, I, you know, one of the things is I, I truly believe in helping people out there get prepared. 
And so I, I think that this is going to be one of those things that's going to be very beneficial. And so we're looking forward to that. And uh, just uh, you'll just have to stay tuned because uh, I'm not quite ready to, to drop it yet, but it is almost there. It is about 98%. Guys, if you are looking for more preparedness content, don't forget to come over to PrepperWebsite.com and uh, we link to new articles every single day on Prepper Website. Uh, that's where we get all the articles that we read here on the podcast. So uh, you can, you'll never uh, falter from having enough preparedness content because we always, we're always putting out great stuff over there, linking to great preparedness content. And then if you haven't, love for you to join the email list. And when you do, you'll get subscribed to uh, the e-course, Building a More Self-Reliant Life. And so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.